Happy New Year, David. This year has started with a dramatic break hiring government bond yields. What have been the drivers of this move higher? Hi, Alex, and Happy New Year to you too. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. In the first couple of weeks of uh, the new year, we've seen core government bond yields move sharply higher, led by a near 30 basis point rise in the 10-year US Treasury yield. Um, I think there's been two key drivers of higher bond yields. Diminished concern around Omicron, despite rising cases in many countries, and a delayed response to the Fed's hawkish pivot in December. I think fears that Omicron would have a severe and prolonged negative impact on growth have, I think, given way to hope that it marks the transition from pandemic to endemic um, and, and, and a gradual fading of the impact of COVID on the global economy. But I think the biggest driver of the surge, certainly in US Treasury yields, is the market waking up to the hawkish pivot by the Fed in December. And and Alex, you might recall that, you know, we discussed, uh, I think, in our last podcast of the uh, 2021, the kind of surprisingly sanguine response of the market to the Fed accelerating its taper of quantitative easing. Um, signalling an earlier liftoff in policy rates and hinting at quantitative tightening, so actively reducing the size of its balance sheet. And we got the minutes of that December Fed meeting that confirmed that most FOMC members are determined to start withdrawing monetary accommodation at a faster pace than previously indicated, including shrinking the balance sheet. So we've seen the market reprice the path of Fed rate hikes Interest rate futures are now implying something like an 80% chance of a liftoff or first rate hike in in March, and then a further two or three rate hikes over the remainder of this year. Uh, We've also had the December payrolls report uh, confirmed that the US labor market is tight. Unemployment rate fell below 4%. Wages are rising, particularly in those sectors which have got relatively high Um, uh, vacancies. And we had annual inflation of 7% in uh, December. Now, I I do think it will stay at that level, actually probably go a little somewhat higher during the first quarter. It will then, you know, fall somewhat in the second quarter, largely due to base effects. But in our view, will remain well above 3% into year end. So I do think the Fed is well behind the inflation curve. I still think the market is potentially underpricing the pace of tightening needed for the Fed to catch up. What are the broader market implications of the Fed playing catch up? Yeah, so, I mean, certainly rising bond yields, um, at least in recent history, have tended to go hand in hand with strong economic growth. And so, you know, risk assets have actually typically performed, you know, relatively well um, during Fed uh, rate hiking cycles, and, and that was the case in the last three um, Fed rate hiking cycles, although certainly there's been periodic um, corrections. Um, at the start of this year, um, we've seen sort of long duration growth assets such as US tech stocks underperform. So there has been, you know, sort of rotation, if you like, between um, value and growth. But broadly speaking, risk markets have proved relatively um, resilient. Um, I do think that the prospect of tighter monetary conditions, though, has spilled over into volatility and drawdowns in the most speculative assets, for example, some of the crypto 
currencies. And I think that does portend broader financial uh, market volatility. And I, and I think this time round, compared to previous Fed hiking cycles, or at least you know since the um, uh, 2000s, um, is that you know the starting point for inflation is much higher, and central banks, but especially the Fed's anti-inflation credibility is being questioned. Um, I think less so by the market at the moment as by the public and by politicians. So I, I think that means investors should be wary of relying on the so-called Fed put. This is the notion that the Fed will step in and ease policy to contain any sell-off in risk assets, especially equities. I think the Fed has pivoted to being much more focused on inflation rather than jobs. It's arguably further behind in terms of policy tightening than in previous cycles. So I do think that this so-called Fed put is you know, further out of the money. In, in, in other words, I think the Fed's going to be less responsive to equity market drawdowns and volatility than it may have been in the past. Um, that said, I, I do think the Fed would pause or less aggressively unwind its easing money stance if there was a meaningful deterioration in credit conditions for businesses and households. I think it's going to be stress in the credit market rather than volatility in equity markets that would be a more telling signal of a potential policy mistake and prompt a response by the Fed. But if we look at credit markets so far, they've pretty much shrugged off the recent rise in government bond yields. Um, bank lending is actually picking up and credit markets are wide open to um, uh, corporate borrowers. There's less than $35 billion of US high yield debt trading at distress levels. So that's trading with spreads wide of 1000 basis points. And that's just 2% of the outstanding, according to JP Morgan. And, and the actual default rate is, is running below you know, 1%. Now, I, I certainly don't wish to sound complacent. Um, there are risks to credit from higher rates. Uh, US investment grade, for example, started the year with negative total returns of around you know, 1.5% or so because of the move higher in treasury yields. And higher rates could lead to you know, disruptive outflows from um, uh, from from credit, and you know we are seeing investors respond to this higher rate environment with very strong demand for floating rate debt, whether that be loans, CLOs, or other securitized credit, and 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 that's as expected, I think, in a rising rate environment. But currently, there's no warning signs in terms of fundamental credit quality that would imply that the credit market, at least, is worried by growth risk from a policy mistake by the Fed. And what about the US dollar in emerging markets? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, the US dollar has actually started the year a bit softer and emerging market assets have proved you know, very resilient in the face of this sell-off in core rates. I, th I think in both instances, in part, this reflects some investor positioning at the start of the year. Certainly, um, fast money um, is positioned for a stronger dollar. And I think investors more generally are relatively defensively positioned across emerging market assets. Um, but that being said, I mean, I think, you know, Europe, Asia, I mean, notably China, I mean, don't have anywhere near as serious an inflation problem as the US and, and therefore not the urgency to raise rates. In fact, in, in the case of the People's Bank of China, I think it's more likely they would cut rather than uh, raise rates uh, this year. So against this backdrop, you know, I'm, I'm in the sort of stronger dollar camp. And historically, 
the US dollar does strengthen into the first Fed rate hike and tends to weaken thereafter. Now, you know, many aspects of this cycle have been, you know, quite different to previous uh, ones, but um, I do think the path of least resistance is for dollar strength, but, you know, the FX market in particular does have a tendency to confound the consensus. In terms of, you know, emerging markets, typically a move higher in core re rates led by real yields, as, as the recent move has been, is problematic for emerging market assets. Now, I mentioned that, you know, defensive positioning is one reason why so far, EM assets have proved relatively resilient. But I think it's also because many EM central banks have already hiked local policy rates pretty substantially um, through 2021. I think there's a fair amount of risk priced into EM assets more, more, more broadly. And that's, you know, was reflected by their relative underperformance last year. And I think more positively, you know, this, this reduced concern around Omicron in terms of the impact on uh, global growth is also supportive of EM assets. Now, I, I, I still tend to believe that with the Fed about to start hiking, shrinking its balance sheet, ongoing concerns around China, both from the real estate sector and its COVID zero policy, the near term backdrop for EM assets is challenging. But if, as we expect, global growth remains strong, you know, we're forecasting another year of above trend global growth. Uh, there is some easing in China policy and, and hard landing fears uh, recede. And, and we know that some of the uncertainty around US monetary policy is going to be resolved with time as, as, as the Fed starts setting out um, what it plans to do with the balance sheet and, and, and starts to uh, raise interest rates. Then I think then I think a lot of investors are going to start turning their attention to EM assets and the value on, on, on offer. So, I mean, it's been a really interesting start of the year for uh, markets. And, you know, I think that reflects these kind of macro cross currents that we highlighted in our 2022 outlook. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be um, a lot of things to for, for us to discuss and focus on um, over the coming weeks and months. Thanks for your time today, David. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.